Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In the 16th installment of our series on the life of the Apostle Paul, we will hear from our special guest, Chaplain Gary Whedon, as he shares lessons from Paul's farewell address to the elders of the church in Ephesus. So please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20 and join us as we continue to imitate Paul as he imitated Jesus Christ. I was a Navy chaplain for 30 years. My last assignment was Europe. Um, We really fell in love with Europe. It was a vacation that we could never have afforded, but the vacation we always wanted, and uh, traveling around and meeting our uh, NATO partners. When we retired, we just knew that, you know, I I was allergic to retirement. Um, We knew that God wanted us to kind of reach back there and and head back to Europe. that was not possible for a couple reasons, but we are we connected up uh, as missionaries with Greater Europe Mission. So my wife and I are with their member care team. I'm a missions pastor and basically a Barnabas to uh, our missionaries and with a focus in the Balkan area. So that's what God is helping us do right now. So let's uh, let's get a an understanding of where we're at. This is Paul's third missionary journey, and. We are right here in Miletus, um, right there. And then it's about 73, 74 kilometers up to Ephesus. Well, why that, that's important? Because our focus is going to be at the end of uh, uh, Acts chapter 20 when he's speaking uh, to the elders there. And then, um, you know, when I, when I look at uh, this, this itinerary, um, you think about all the travels, and you think about, and I've been, I've had uh, the privilege to travel with uh, senior officers, and, but it's always been on a, on a plane, and you land here, and you go there, and you spend a day or an hour, and you move around, uh, but you have an entourage before and an entourage after. It's very different. Paul was by ship, by land, and what we see here is really a clear advance of the gospel, and, and I hope that as you have seen and studied in the book of Acts, uh, just the boldness and the willingness of these early believers, these apostles, to, to give all surrender uh, for, for the gospel's sake. And the Holy Spirit was certainly a driving force in um, what we see. And we'll see this here in this passage, the Holy Spirit undertaking. Um, but interesting enough, and I'm not sure uh, if you look up right there on the island of Lisbos, uh, God is doing some amazing things there uh, right now. Uh, that is the uh, refugee center from a lot of refugees fleeing, particularly Syria. And so there's several missionary agencies over there, and there's this large camp. Uh, it caught on fire last year, and they rebuilt it, but um, just tremendous um, testimonies of uh, a lot of Muslims coming to know the Lord uh, through these camps and uh, wanting to return and serve uh, and so when they, when you hear the saying, take up your cross and follow me, uh, we see that. And so right there in the island of Lisbos. So we're down here. Ephesus is here. It's about 70-some kilometers. So if you look on uh, chapter uh, 20, let's go to verse 1. You see, after the uproar ceased, Paul uh, sent out for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, farewell. 
Look at verse 2. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. So Paul is about coming along these believers. And, and he's, you know, fight the good fight of faith. Keep pressing on. Keep holding to the gospel. And this is what he's doing in these regions, and he's teaching. And we see this later on in, in this uh, book, this uh, chapter here. But then we come to uh, chapter 20, verse 17, and he's now in Miletus, and he sent for the Ephesus elders uh, to come. And again, so that's 70-some kilometers, so they got to send some couriers to go up, gather the elders, come back. So there's some time there. Uh, I had a, an assignment back in 2004 and five at U.S. Central Command, or CENTCOM, as some of you may know that, geographically responsible for everything that's going on in the Middle East um, and Afghanistan. And in 2004 and five, there was a lot going on there. And so my time was divided between living overseas in Qatar, sometimes in Afghanistan flying there, sometimes in Oman, uh, and even some time in Djibouti. I didn't know what a Djibouti was, but I know what Djibouti is now, and they're part on, in Africa. And then the rest of the time, I was back in uh, the headquarters in Tampa, Florida. And so I was there, it was, uh, I think, early in 2005. Uh, one of the other chaplains came in and grabbed me and said, uh, Gary, let's go to the hospital. We have um, one of our soldiers was involved in an accident last night, and uh, we, need, we need to go see him. So when we walked into the hospital... There was an elderly lady behind a desk. She was a candy striper, literally had that little uniform on. We identified ourselves as chaplains, and she said, oh, I know who you're here to see. You got to look around. Uh, you're here to see this guy. You know him? General, George, uh, General Schwarzkopf, Norman Schwarzkopf, a storm in Norman, as they call him. General Schwarzkopf was the commander at CENTCOM back in Desert Storm, Desert Shield, back in the early 90s, had since retired. He was at the hospital because he had been recently at that time diagnosed with cancer. He was going through treatment and, and facing some things. And we said, no, we're here to see um, this individual. And she said, oh, he was discharged this morning. So we waited in the lobby. And a few minutes later, General Schwarzkopf came out, immediately came up to us. And, you know, when you're facing that kind of health situation, health crisis, and all the things that are going on through treatment, and some of you know that very well, uh, a lot of things going through your mind. Gentlemen, this is what he said when he came up to us. He said, hey, chaplains, how are the troops doing? How's the morale? And then we talked a little bit more, and then at the end he said, uh, chaplains, take care of them. I remember walking away talking to Dave, a friend, and I just, you know, in the midst of all that he's going, even though he wasn't on the battlefield, he was still in the fight. That was where his heart was. And so why do I share that story about General Schwarzkopf? You know, when, and I know some of you know this and some of you online, when you experience that kind of combat, that kind of deployment in a mission, uh, there is a special bonding that takes place. There's a, a bond that forms and it, it keeps with you. And when I read this passage here, and we'll come to Acts chapter um, 20, when I see this, your Bibles may have the heading, Paul's tearful farewell, 
or Paul's farewell to the Ephesians. When I read this, this is what I see. This is a band of brother moment. This is the Apostle Paul, who like this general, like a commander, has now called his lieutenants down from Ephesus. And when he's calling them down there, um, it's not uh, so much to talk about strategy and policy. There's, there's a little bit of tactics involved when we'll see that in this passage. But Paul is laying out his heart. Paul is sharing a lot of emotion here. Now, when you look at the Apostle Paul and you have studied this uh, up until this point, uh, even in some, a lot of the other scriptures that you use a cross-reference, um, Paul is not somebody that most Christian organizations would want on their board. Paul is not a person that most churches would want on the board. And why is that? Well, he has a low tolerance for petty things. <laughs> and Paul is, you know, he has called the tax those early disciples um, for their hypocrisy. And we see this in Galatians chapter 2. He stood toe-to-toe with uh, some of those religious leaders who hide behind their guards and their entitlements, calling out them. A little later in Acts, we see Paul stood toe-to-toe with those political leaders, those kings, unafraid to stand and share who he is and what the gospel is about. So when we come to this passage, you know, we see a different side. I don't say a different side, but we see Paul um, sharing his heart. Um, It's a passionate side of Paul. He's pleading for these believers to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Now, I have read this passage, um, part of preparation, about 75 times. I just wanted to to let it just soak in. What, What is Paul driving at here? He has a little time. Obviously, these these Ephesian elders um, are very important, and the church in Ephesus is very important to him. But he's making his way to Jerusalem. He's on target, but he, he wants to gather them there. And so it's not really possible to make a neat analysis of this farewell speech. But so what I want to do this morning is I want to read this passage, and <clears throat> there's some certainly some clear notes that stand out from this. So let's begin in chapter uh, seven, 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house and testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me but I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you 
among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you, commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And you yourselves know these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. All. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him. And being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You see some things that have repeated there in that passage. You see some themes, some things that kind of rise up. Well, as I read this, this is what I'm, I'm drawn to. Here's the big idea. The big idea is don't shrink back from living a gospel-centered life. You say, well, how do I get that from that passage here? You know, Paul, look in verse uh, at the beginning. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you from the first day I set foot in Asia. Well, how did he live? Gospel-centered life. And so he's, and he uses his word here, shrink, shrink. Um, Twice in this passage, it's used four times in the New Testament. Once in Galatians, where Paul is challenging Peter in his hypocrisy in dealing with the Gentiles. And he says, you shrunk back, you recoiled, you stepped back. And then twice in this passage here, he says, I, did, I held nothing back. I didn't shrink back from sharing and declaring anything that would be profitable to you. And then the other one is that of... Um, Hebrews, and let that, let that passage sink to you. In just a little while, he will be coming, <clears throat> he who is coming will come, and he will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in that one who shrinks back, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. You see that, that sense of hanging in there and that endurance. Paul knows that there's a war raging. And just like, you know, on the battlefield, this is spiritual warfare. And Paul knows that. And it's not a land grab. This is about souls. This is about advancing the gospel. This is about the church. And Paul spent three years with these people. And that's why he calls those Ephesian elders down. It's all about living out the gospel for Paul. It was his worldview. It shaped how he, how he lived, uh, what he shared, what he embraced what he valued, what he didn't value, what he gave away, 
It also shaped how he endured adversity. That's why Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is real. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul knew the power of the gospel. And he's saying to us, don't shrink from living a gospel-centered life. So, what does the gospel-centered life look like in this, this passage? Well, let's, there's three things that, are, that are gonna, we're going to look at this morning. First, he says, it looks like lead by serving. Not just leading, lording. Paul certainly had the authority back into Jesus, but you lead by serving. Keep the gospel in your conversations. You say, well, that's a given. We'll, we'll unpack that here soon. And he says, be on your guard. So let's, uh, let's break down this first one here. And again, it's not a neat analysis because he says one thing in one passage. He comes back and repeats it. And, and if anyone uh, exemplified leading by serving, it was Paul. And so here's all the passages here. So at the beginning in verses 18 and 19, there's certainly a transparency open. You know how I lived among you from the first day. When you're a leader and you are transparent to those around you, um, there is a certain vulnerability that happens. I met a lot of senior leaders, military leaders. I work with a lot of them. A lot of them keep things very close to the vest. You know, uh, they don't share a lot. I can probably say there's probably about three that shared, you know, things with me and just in kind of the privacy and the confidentiality. But most of them have this persona. And when you are a leader, whether it's a church or a business, and, and there's not just some transparency. And Paul was very transparent. You know how I lived, how I lived among you. And what does he say? I serve the Lord, serving the Lord. It's not about my entitlements. It's not about who I am. It's all about the Lord, servant leadership. In fact, uh, I think it was 1970, there was a, an article that came out, um, and I, I forget the, the gentleman's name, uh, but he was uh, one who was uh, noted for the term, coming out with the term servant leader. And his, it is, he wrote an essay talking about the, the, the leader as a servant. I want to say uh, you, you are centuries late because Jesus talked about serving others. And Paul exemplified that. And then Paul says, humility. Live with humility. Philippians 2.3. Talk about considering others. Paul was all about, you know, even though we, we see this one who's gone toe-to-toe with, with all these people, Paul served with humility. He knew he was who he was. It wasn't about, you know, uh, propping up himself. It was all about exalting the Lord Jesus. I wept for you over and over. I wept for you. I wept over you. When you're in leadership and spiritual leadership and in times when you just are crushed by um, things that, that happen to those around you, to uh, those in your congregation, um, those who have fallen away, those who have gone through some things, you weep. And then he says, I've also endured trials and hardship for you. You know, one of the um, books that I came across early in my time as a chaplain was by a rabbi. And you don't see it on most people because there's a zillion books out there on leadership. 
but it's this one here by Ed Freeman called A Failure of Nerve. And Ed, it's one of the profound books on leadership. It's not an easy read, but it's profound. And he talks about having his boldness and how people have backed down. But he says two things are going to happen. First of all, he says sabotage. You better expect sabotage as a leader. And whether sabotage happens from without or within, it's going to come. And Paul says, I've endured hardship. Some of it was plots from the Jews. Some of it was undermining. Just go all the way back to Moses and how his followers tried to undermine him. Um, But he also talks about integrity. Leaders need to have focus first on their own integrity, on the nature of their own presence. Paul was all about integrity. Um, Paul could have wrote this book, but it it just is a reminder that uh, when you are in leadership, and you're serving, uh, there's going to be attacks. And you just, you know, you don't have to look far in the news to see that that 11th hour revelation about somebody. It's undermining that, and it happens all the time in the church. So going back, he said, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything. I didn't hold anything back. I gave you the whole counsel of God. I just didn't give you a little bit to get going. I shared with you everything, verses 20, verse 26, verse 27. You know, he talks about, you know, I gave everything to you, so I'm innocent of your blood. What is he talking about? Well, you have to go back to Ezekiel um, chapter 33. And and that prophet says, you know, you share with those people, and they don't respond, it's on them. But if you don't share with those people, it's on you. Um, And so Paul's saying, I didn't stop from declaring to you anything. I made sure you received the whole counsel of God. I didn't water down or appeal to cultural norms. I gave you everything. Integrity. What is that? Well, he says, I teach you in public and from house to house, and testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, there was no private Paul and no public Paul. There was no Sunday persona. What you saw is what you got with Paul. Um, Any audience, any context, Paul was about the gospel. I think reading uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 and 5, really kind of parallels with what Paul is saying here. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What a powerful passage in 2 Corinthians there. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everybody. This is who we are. This is We're hiding nothing back in this. And in verse 22 and 23, Paul talks about the Spirit of God. He says, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. We see a few chapters later where, you know, people were warning him about that. What Paul's saying is, as a leader, I'm following what's next on God's agenda for my life. Um, I want to respond to the movement of God. Um, I'm open to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we see, is really a driven force throughout the book of Acts. We call it the Acts of the Apostles, and really, it's really a focus on mostly Peter and and, and Paul, it could be easily called the gospel of the Holy Spirit because it's a continuation of what Luke has, has already written. 
And then we come to chapter 20, I mean, verse 24. What an incredible statement. What a staggering statement. I don't consider my life of any value. Willing to spend my life for his sake. I'm not here to make a statement. I don't want a building named after me. I don't want to have my feet, my hands printed in some cement next to a restaurant. I'm about the gospel. I'm about focusing on him. He doesn't back down from what God has called him because he fears risk, because he fears trouble, because he focuses on persecution, on death. He says, I, I, I know part what's ahead of me, but I, I know the other part is the unknown, but I'm still going to step out. It's like the psalmist who said, my times are in his hands. My times are in his hands. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That was Paul to the T. And when I think about that, I think about a couple of things I read just recently here. The, the woman on the, 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 the uh, over here, uh, this is, um, let me get my notes here. Her name is um, Patrice Stockley. And Patrice Stockley was a, a missionary um, from, uh, evangelical missionary from Sweden. She had been held captive for, I think, five years by some extreme, uh, Islamic extremists in Mali, uh, but she was executed. And her body was recently uh, found and identified, and so the Mali foreign uh, minister reported that to Sweden. Um, um, <clears throat> I mean, to Switzerland. And so when you read down from this article, uh, people make comments. And the first comment was this guy that just kind of struck me about this. He said this, quote, he said, it baffles me that people go to other countries to convert uh, people there to Christianity or why even people would donate money to help them do that. You just don't get it. To live as Christ, to die is gain. This gentleman over here, maybe anybody recognize that? That's Richard Vermeer. He wrote the book called Torture for Christ. I remember meeting him one time at seminary. He came and spoke to us. Uh, Richard was, a, uh, I think, a Romanian priest, uh, a Lutheran pastor, who was in prison for 14 years in the Russian prison. And he said it was, quote, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing that would receive a severe beating. So a number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted that, their, the communists, their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everybody was happy. You know, when to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul talks about servant leadership. He lived it. He took every opportunity to instruct and warn people in verse 31. Why? Not thinking I may have another chance. Some of us thought we maybe we had another chance sharing with somebody. And Paul knew that. He knew the opportunities are precious. He said, verse 33, I'm not in it for personal gain. I'm not in it for the, for the bling, for the silver, for the gold, and, and for the apparel. And I thought that was interesting, you know. And so I found this recently. It's, a, it's an Instagram following called Preachers and Sneakers. And this is a guy that began to notice that some of these people, these mega churches and worship leaders, and he began to notice their apparel. 
And he began to take snapshots and he began to research. And one, you know, and, he, and you can go on preachers and sneakers. And as he's looking at it, he says, you know, here's one preacher with some Gucci slippers. They were the ugliest things I could see, but they were eleven hundred dollars. And one of them was a, some uh, Christian Dior Jordan high top, and they were eight thousand dollars. And he and he began to, and some of these preachers, you know, some of you may not, but he began to to follow these people. And he says, you know, how how are you? you know, justifying this and, and so forth. And, and Paul says, I'm not in it for personal gain. Paul says in verse 34, 35, I carry my own weight. I provided for my own needs. I gave to others, particularly to the weak. I'm willing to get dirty. I had a friend who was asked by this other couple, he, my friend's a pastor, and he's asked by this couple to come in and they were getting ready to be commissioned as missionaries uh, down to South America. And so he was in his big form, and, and they had the ceremony. And afterwards, uh, the guy said, uh, thank you for coming. If you would, just gather up the chairs and, and the tables and fold them. And so my friend, uh, Ted just, he, he just gets down. He starts folding chairs and getting the table and everything. And all these missionary candidates were walking out the door, <laughs> and they weren't helping. And he's like, well, that's not a good start, you know? I mean, if you're not willing to, to give of your own and, and to work. So that's leading by serving, Paul says. The second thing we'll, we'll look at is here is keep the gospel in your conversation. How did Paul treat the word of God? It was his sword. He knew he was in battle. It was the sword of the Lord. Uh, he, he preached in public from house to house. He admonished others with tears. And look at these verses here. Verse 21 Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. That is grace working. Then he describes it in verse 24. He testified to what? The gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. Verse 25, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. Verse 32, it was the word of God. Uh, the word of his grace. There's been a lot of attempts in church history um, to dilute the meaning of biblical gospel. Some tried to add to it for justification. Well, it's, it's the gospel plus this. Some have had to, to eliminate it, to take away from it. it. It doesn't really involve this. We see this. It doesn't involve hell. It doesn't involve punishment. You know, so what did, what did Jesus save us from? And then yet some have reduced the gospel to social implications. And there are some churches and denominations that have all together ignored it. We talk about the gospel. We talk about keeping that in focus. And it's not just Paul pulling out four spiritual laws. <laughs> it's not all about just sharing that. Look at this. This is Colossians chapter 1. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. How is it continually bearing fruit in our lives? Because it's God's amazing grace. It's a story about God's amazing grace. You know, I can just hear somebody go, you know, I, I met Paul at the coffee shop and he was talking about call for repentance. And someone said, well, you know, he was in our home group and he, he called and he's testifying to God's grace. Well, yeah, we were 
we were out there in the yard talking, and he was talking about the kingdom of God. All these are one and the same, but it comes back to the same story. God's amazing grace. Paul experienced that. Paul said, keep that in focus. Keep that in your conversations. Talk about God's amazing grace. You know, centuries later from Paul, many centuries later Paul, there was a young priest in Wittenberg, Germany, who understood that as he opened up Romans and the revelation of this God's amazing grace. His name was Martin Luther. Well, and the rest is history. The final thing, Paul, we talk about here and how to live this life and don't shrink back and be on your guard. Some say verse 28 is really kind of the theological center of this speech. Paul is finishing this race, and this is important. Uh, and, and finishing his own race well is great importance, but his greatest concern is for the church. As they say there, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained through his blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And he goes on, verse 31, therefore be alert. So what is he saying? Care for, be on your guard. Be on your guard for the, the community. Care for the church of God, Paul is saying. Care for the church of God. Like I said, I'm, I work with greater your mission and, and our idea is to, as in, in memory care is really kind of be like a Barnabas to come alongside, encourage these missionaries to stay in, to, to care for them and, and all the things that they're facing. <clears throat> uh, Paul says, care for the flock. And then, he, and then he says, but he begins it, which I think is something uh, pretty phenomenal. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourself. Years later, in my, uh, much in my uh, ministry as a chaplain, I came across this book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. And I read it. It was one of those books that just hit me um, because it talks about just maintaining that in that ministry, that, that sharp and that edginess. And, and so, much, so, much, so much what happens in ministry is as you become dull, especially when you don't become transparent, when you isolate yourselves. And... and um, and so I invited uh, Ruth to come and speak to our chaplains. That's how much I value what she had to say. But in this book, she, she, I pulled two things out, which I think are pretty remarkable. One is a quote from Parker Palmer, who says, A leader is a person who must take special responsibility for what's going on inside him or herself, inside his or her conscience. Lest that act of leadership do more harm than good. I've been, I've been in ministry for 40 years. I've seen a lot of the kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly ministry. And what I find is hurt people hurt people. And when I find sometimes a toxic relationship, it kind of goes back to that person who's hurting. A lot of unhealthy spiritual leadership. Um, and then she says, truly the best thing any of us can bring to leadership is our own transforming self. That opportunity to grow in Christ every day, to keep sharp. Took my friend, the one I mentioned, who went to this conference. We took him to... Uh, He'd never been to Europe, took him to Europe a few years ago. Uh, we did a little a Reformation tour around, and, and I remember saying to him, I said, Ted, I, I just don't want to become a, a crusty old man, you know, a, a jaded person in the Lord. I, I want to be sharp. I want to be fresh. 
And, you know, part of that is just keeping in touch with what God is doing in my own life, a transformation process. So we come down to, to two, um, three questions here. First question I want in thinking about the groups and how are we doing with time here? Fantastic. Doing good? <clears throat> what has God put on your heart or maybe nudge you towards that you're trying to eliminate the rest, I mean the risk before stepping forward? What are you trying to, what's God saying to you? Maybe you need to do this or go here. Well, I, I, I can't do it. Maybe you're fighting some uncertainty. Maybe you're shrinking back because things are just not clear. Let me tell you, things will never be totally clear. That's why we step and walk by faith. Maybe you're fighting distractions. You know, I, I just got so much going on in my life right now. I, I can't do that. Maybe you're fighting insecurity. There's a lot of resistance. Maybe physically. You know, I don't have enough, enough margin in my life in this, this season of my life really to, to go there or to do that. I had to weigh those questions when I thought about joining Great Year Mission and, and some of the things that I was facing uh, in my own life with healthcare. And, and as I said, you know, I, I'm eager to go. I'm anxious to go, Lord, what are those things that I'm fighting back? I need to step forward. Secondly, um, <clears throat> you know, what gospel are you engaged in? Easy, easy listening, ear tickling, risk avoidance, prosperity driven, or one that calls you to take up your cross and follow him? Because that depends, that determines what you're going to share. Because if you want to share a gospel that doesn't say, you know, you, you need to follow him. You need to sacrifice. You need to give to him. The final question is, what are changes needed in your life in order that you may finish well? You may finish well. I'm not a big guy on um, at New Year's making a bunch of goals. Maybe some of you are. I'm just not that... Um, but this year I decided um, I'm, I'm going to have one focus at the beginning of the year. And that is I want to finish well every day. Because if I finish well every day, hopefully I'll finish well every week. And if I finish well every week, every month, and by the time I get to that end of that year, I finish well this year. I want to finish well every day. Shall I not run with all my might now that the finishing line is in sight? Paul says we need to not shrink back from living a gospel-centered life. We have a little bit more time or we, we press? A little bit? So I, I, I know I was talking to Max. I said I got, um, I came across this, um, this poem here. And, it, and yeah, I have three points in a poem. How about that? Uh, but this is from a guy named Robertson McQuilkin. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible Seminary for somewhat 40 years. He stepped aside because his wife was facing, uh, I think, health issues like Alzheimer's. And he said, you know, uh, this is what God has called me to. Uh, phenomenal man uh, since has gone home with the Lord. But he wrote this poem and he said, it's called, Lord, let me get home before dark. And I'm just going to read a portion of this. But at the beginning, he says, it's sundown, Lord. The shadow of my life stretches back into the dimness of the years long spent. I fear not death, for that grim foe betrays me at last, thrusting me forever into life. Now listen to what he says. 
life with you unsoiled and free. But I do fear, I fear that dark specter may come too soon, or do I mean too late, that I should end before I finish, or finish but not well, that I should stain your honor, I would shame your name, I grieve your loving heart. Few, they tell me, finish well. Lord, let me get home before dark. Few, they tell me, finish well. The darkness of the Spirit has grown mean and small, fruit shriveled on the vine, bitter to the taste of companions, burdened to be home by those brave few who love me still. No, Lord, let the fruit grow lush and sweet, a joy to all who taste. Spirit sign of God at work, stronger, fuller, brighter at the end. Lord, let me get home before it gets dark. See what he's saying? Robinson is saying, you know, sometimes we become a, a bitterness to our companions. Sometimes we become that, that grouchy old person. But he's saying, no, let that fruit grow lush and sweet. Let me continue to run the race that God has set before me. And let me finish well. And let me focus. And how do I do that? By not shrinking back from living a gospel-centered life. Let us pray. Father, what a speech that Paul and Luke allows us to, to hear and listen. With all the emotion, this band of brother moment that Paul is gathering his his leaders, he's handing off to them their responsibility now to take the banner and run full with the gospel. And Father, this morning for us, a lot of questions. But Father, may we live a life worthy of the calling, fully pleasing to you and bearing fruit in every good work. And may we be increasing in the knowledge of you, God, and being strengthened with all your might. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue learning lessons from the life of the Apostle Paul. For more information on the Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. Have a great week and God bless.